Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're diving into the story of the legendary king of Uruk, Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is the titular hero of the Epic of Gilgamesh, perhaps the oldest story ever recorded in human history. His story was one that everyone in the ancient world knew, the Persians, the Greeks, the ancient Egyptians, etc. It may have even inspired later epics such as the Iliad, the Odyssey, and possibly even the Bible. And yet for a while, people just didn't have access to it due to the original sources being lost, destroyed, or any other form of decay due to the sands of time. And for perhaps even longer still, it was generally believed that Gilgamesh was just a literary character along with so many other characters from ancient epic poems. However, in recent years there's been quite a bit of talk that the story was in fact loosely based on an ancient king of the same name. Obviously, a story like Gilgamesh's can't be real. He battles with gods, monsters, descends into the Sumerian underworld, and finds a flower that can grant eternal life. However, there's some ideas in the story that point to a very powerful ruler, one either feared or loved so much by his subjects that they deified him after his death. And what better way to immortalize a great king than giving him a story fit for a god? It might be almost impossible to prove whether or not Gilgamesh actually existed. But even then, we have some solid guesses as to when he potentially ruled over the ancient city of Uruk. But let's first take a dive into Gilgamesh's epic before we start expanding on that with actual historical fact. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to Mesopotamia in the 3rd millennium BCE in... Out of Legend, Gilgamesh. The following is an excerpt from the Epic of Gilgamesh, traditionally dated to the 18th century BCE, translated by Maureen Gallery Kovacs, 1998. Supreme over other kings, lordly in appearance. He is the hero born of Uruk, the goring wild bull. He walks out in front, the leader, and walks at the rear, trusted by his companions. Mighty Net, protector of his people, raging flood wave who destroys even walls of stone. Offspring of Lugalbanda, Gilgamesh is strong to perfection, son of the august cow Rimat Ninsun. Gilgamesh is awesome to perfection. It was he who opened the mountain passes, who dug wells on the flank of the mountain. It was he who crossed the ocean, the vast seas, to the rising sun, who explored the world's regions, seeking life. It was he who reached by his own sheer strength Utnapishtim, the far away, who restored the sanctuaries that the flood had destroyed for teeming mankind. Who can compare with him in kingliness? Who can say like Gilgamesh, I am king? Whose name from the day of his birth was called Gilgamesh? Two-thirds of him is God, one-third of him is human. The great goddess Aruru designed the model for his body. She prepared his form, beautiful, handsomest of men, perfect. He walks around in the enclosure of Uruk, like a wild bull he makes himself mighty, head raised over others. There is no rival who can raise his weapon against him. 
His fellows stand at the alert, attentive to his orders. The men of Uruk become anxious. Gilgamesh does not leave a son to his father. Day and night he is arrogant. Is Gilgamesh the shepherd of Uruk Haven? Is he the shepherd? Bold, eminent, knowing, and wise. Gilgamesh does not leave a girl to her mother, the daughter of the warrior, the bride of the young man. The gods kept hearing their complaints, so the gods of the heavens implored the lord of Uruk, Anu. You have indeed brought into being a mighty wild bull, head raised. There is no rival who can raise a weapon against him. His fellows stand at the alert, attentive to his orders. Gilgamesh does not leave a son to his father. Day and night he is arrogant. Is he the shepherd of Uruk Haven? Is he their shepherd? Bold, eminent, knowing, and wise. Gilgamesh does not leave a girl to her mother, the daughter of the warrior, the bride of the young man. Anu listened to their complaints, and the gods called out to Aruru. It was you, Aruru, who created mankind. Now create a Zikru to him. Let him be equal to his stormy heart, and them be a match for each other so that Uruk may find peace. So we begin with the greatest and most powerful king of his age, Gilgamesh. Well, in Sumerian his name possibly would have been pronounced Bilgamesh. Gilgamesh is actually the Akkadian pronunciation of the name. He is the picture of a typical tyrannical overlord. He's powerful, rich, and maintains a status as two-thirds divine, his mother being the goddess Ninsun and his father being the previously deified king of Uruk, Lugalbanda. For some people, this, like, ratio 2 to 1 really confuses people. I don't think they understand that his dad is either 1, a demigod, or 2, now, like I said, a currently deified dead king. Gilgamesh has used his power to turn his city of Uruk into one of the greatest cities of the era. However, he also uses that power for his own self-interest. It was said that no woman in Uruk was safe from his sexual desires, and he probably practiced prima nocta, that thing where a king gets to sleep with a newly married man's wife on the first night of a marriage. And also, as far as I know, this was not really an actual thing real kings did, at least at a certain point in history. The people of Uruk eventually became very upset with all of this and prayed to the gods to deliver them from the cruelty of their king. The gods respond by creating a being named Enkidu. Enkidu is described as a wild man. He basically has the mind of an animal, which is further shown by the fact that he hangs out with only wild animals and scares off every human who even looks at him. Eventually, a farmer decides to call upon a temple prostitute named Shamhat in the hopes that she will be able to calm down this random feral guy living out in the wilderness. So yeah, Shamhat goes out to see Enkidu and immediately strips in front of him. For some reason, this starts forcing Enkidu's brain to act more human. The couple then proceeds to get it on for a week straight. Apparently, having sex for that long transforms Enkidu from wild man into civilized man. Even his animal friends suddenly stop hanging around him. 
Shamhat then proceeds to tell Enkidu about Gilgamesh and the problems he's causing. Now an enlightened human, Enkidu decides he's gonna show Gilgamesh what for and follows Shamhat to Uruk. But not until they go another round that lasts for a week straight. Meanwhile, Gilgamesh has a very bizarre dream and goes to ask his mother about it. In this dream, he had some very homoerotic thoughts for this weird guy he's never met before. Spoiler alert, this guy is Enkidu. His mom is like, well, I suppose that means you're going to meet this man and the two of you will be very close. So, Enkidu and Shamhat arrive back in Uruk. Almost immediately, Gilgamesh and Enkidu meet when Enkidu stops the king from intercepting a couple's wedding night, and it is a tack on sight. The pair wrestle each other for a very long time until they eventually come to a mutual acknowledgement of each other's strength. I'd like to imagine it as that one scene from Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers shake hands and their massive muscles just bulge out. So now these two incredibly strong men are best friends. It's said that Enkidu is basically the only person who can get Gilgamesh to not be a massive jerk. After a little bit, Gilgamesh decides he wants to go cut down some cedar trees in a forest guarded by the great demonic beast Humbaba, also called Huwawa. Apparently, this was part of his kingly duties for some reason. The nobles cry out for Enkidu to stop Gilgamesh, but Enkidu is like, Uh, sorry, I would if I could, but Gilgamesh is already on his way, I'm sure it'll be fine. So the pair go to the cedar forest where they confront Humbaba. After some celestial assistance, the pair kill Humbaba and return to Uruk with their cedar trees. Once they've arrived, Gilgamesh is confronted by the goddess Inanna, also known as Ishtar to the Akkadians. Inanna is like, oh Gilgamesh, you're so strong and powerful, we should totally be together. To which Gilgamesh responds, Nah, I know the bad things you've done to your previous lovers. Also, I kind of have my best friend slash boyfriend Enkidu. I don't want you. Inanna responds this by calling the Bull of Heaven to attack Gilgamesh. As far as I can tell, the Bull of Heaven is just a bull from heaven. With Enkidu's help, Gilgamesh kills the Bull of Heaven. Enkidu then throws a torn-off leg of the Bull of Heaven at Inanna and mocks her. In return, Inanna curses Enkidu so he'll soon die. Surely enough, the gods deem this okay and Enkidu gets sick and passes away. Gilgamesh is absolutely torn apart by his best friend slash boyfriend's death. He then commissions statues of Enkidu to be built and offers up sacrifices to the god to protect his buddy's soul. A series of existential crises later, Gilgamesh decides he doesn't want to die and goes to seek out a man named Utnapishtim, an immortal man who has been around since ancient, ancient times. There's a lot of trials and tribulations, but Gilgamesh eventually reaches Utnapishtim's home. There's a long story about a mythological flood and other things, but eventually Gilgamesh learns about a flower that can grant you eternal life. Gilgamesh then finds the flower. However, before he can bring it back to Uruk to test out its powers, he accidentally takes his eyes off the flower, which is then eaten by a snake. 
The poem explains that this is why snakes shed their skin and allegedly remain young. So that's a cool story. Gilgamesh returns to Uruk with a boatman he met along the way. They go back to Gilgamesh's city where, despite now heartbroken, Gilgamesh praises his great city. In a weird, unconnected epilogue, Gilgamesh sees the ghost of Enkidu, and Enkidu tells Gilgamesh that the underworld really sucks. The End Before we talk more about Gilgamesh, both the possible historical king and the legend, let's talk about Uruk. Fun fact, Uruk may be where we get the name for the nation of Iraq. Granted, that would be through a massive game of language telephone. It was one of the earliest cities in all of human history, possibly being founded sometime not long after 4000 BCE, possibly even earlier. It was the main source of power and expansion in the titular Uruk period of Mesopotamia, which was when the Sumerian civilization started coming around. I talked a bit about the Sumerians in detail back in episode 43 over Sargon of Akkad, so I'll try to quickly explain it here. They were one of the first civilizations in all of human history, living in the south of modern-day Iraq between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. They were some of the first astronomers in history, possibly invented the wheel, and used perhaps the first writing system in human history, at least that we've discovered. They set up a large-scale civilization in the Middle East. In the Uruk period, the city held sway over the others, mostly through military force. It helped that it was the largest city in the general area by a significant amount. It was believed to have a population somewhere between 25 and 50,000 people, which really gives you a scale of what we're dealing with in regards to the other cities. According to the Sumerian king list, the city was founded by King Enmerkar, who, according to the list, ruled for 420 years. Nice. So yeah, we're clearly not dealing with solid historical records. Enmerkar was also said to have built the first temple in the city to Inanna. According to the Epic of Gilgamesh, the hero king was the one to build the massive walls that would come to house the city. It was a very well-connected city too, as it had a canal system that connected it to the nearby Euphrates River, meaning anyone in Uruk could travel up and down the lengths of Mesopotamia, taking them all the way up to eastern Turkey or all the way down to the Persian Gulf. The city managed to stay relevant in Mesopotamia for thousands of years. It was first annexed by the Akkadians when Sargon the Great conquered Mesopotamia. From then on, every major empire who stormed through the region made sure to take Uruk and revamp it in some way. This usually meant adding a new temple or refurbishing the already existing ones. It was still a fairly thriving metropolitan area during the heights of ancient Greece, who referred to the city as Orcha. It was part of the Macedonian Seleucid Empire and the Parthian Persian Empire afterwards. Uruk's downfall came as the Euphrates River slowly shifted its course, meaning that the canals of Uruk were no longer a feasible option for getting around. By 300 CE, the city was basically a ghost town. The city was finally destroyed around 700 CE by an Arab invasion of Mesopotamia. It lay abandoned and basically forgotten for centuries afterwards, 
only truly being explored again and recognized as Uruk in the middle of the 19th century. But let's shift our focus a bit narrower from the ancient city to the famous king of legend. It's almost impossible to hammer down an exact date for Gilgamesh's reign over Uruk. He ruled sometime during the early dynastic period, which began around 2900 BCE, about two centuries after the Uruk period ended. This was the rapid acceleration of the Sumerian era, which saw the development of cuneiform writing in competition between the different city-states of Mesopotamia, which would eventually give way to the rise of the Akkadian Empire. But we're not here to talk about the Akkadians, we're here for Gilgamesh. A slightly more generous period where Gilgamesh might have ruled was, according to Assyriologist Stephanie Daly, whose theory of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon not actually being in Babylon is pretty widely accepted, his rule may have been in the first half of the early dynastic period, between 2900 and 2500 BCE. As far as actual historical records go, we don't have too much over the guy. Within the royal catacombs of Ur, another Sumerian city-state that existed around the same time as Uruk, archaeologists found an inscription reading, Gilgamesh is the one Utu has selected. Okay, so who is Utu? That would be the Sumerian god of the sun, known in Akkadian as Shamash. He's mentioned many times throughout the Epic of Gilgamesh. This inscription would make sense as rulers of ancient Mesopotamian city-states were very much in the vein of rulers chosen by the gods. Another inscription, this time from the city-state of Tamul, makes mention of Gilgamesh in regards to the temple of the goddess Ninil in that city. Ninil was the wife of Enlil, who was the chief deity of the Sumerian pantheon. The Tamul inscription says that the temple to Ninil was built and destroyed twice before Gilgamesh got involved. Then the Tumal fell into ruins for a second time. Gilgamesh built the Nimunbura in Enlil's shrine. Urlugal, son of Gilgamesh, made the Tumal flourish. This was definitely Sumerian because it calls him Gilgamesh rather than the Akkadian Gilgamesh. The Numenbura, as far as I can find, would either be in addition to the Temple of Ninil or a completely separate second temple to the goddess. Also here we get the mention of a son of Gilgamesh named Urlugal, usually called Urnungal. The Sumerian king list also mentions Urnungal as Gilgamesh's son and probable successor. Fun fact, according to the SKL, Gilgamesh ruled for over a century. Highly unlikely. Urnungal was said to rule for only 30 years, much more likely. Finally, an inscription found at the archaeological site of Meituran in the Diyala Governorate of Iraq makes another mention of Gilgamesh, which has some elements of legend but could tell us a bit more about the end of the historical king's life. In the inscription, which is a story that has appropriately been titled The Death of Gilgamesh, the king of Uruk has grown very weak, probably due to advanced age. After an adventure in the underworld, he passes away. It's commanded that he be buried underneath the Euphrates River. It's been suggested that Gilgamesh was buried and then the people of Uruk diverted the flow of the river so that it would now run over the tomb of their beloved ruler.
Apparently, in 2003, an archaeological investigation in Iraq reportedly found the location of Gilgamesh's tomb based on clues from the Maituran inscription. However, I've only been able to find one BBC article over this. Every other thing is literally just a copy-paste of that single article. So I guess going on that, hey, they probably didn't really find the tomb of Gilgamesh, otherwise that would be one of the biggest news stories in all history. But now that we have some historical facts gathered, what can we infer from this? Well, as to be expected, Gilgamesh was a respected king whose power was felt throughout all of Mesopotamia. As I said earlier, Uruk was THE city in Sumer for quite some time. Did he rule for over a century? Unless he ascended to the kingship as a literal baby and lived a very healthy life, almost certainly not. However, he was granted a final offering few kings get. A story that would outlive him. A story so incredible that it would define literature for millennia to come. So now that we have the historical basis for the king, let's talk more about his legend. Despite mainly talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh, that is not the original Gilgamesh legend. In fact, it was written by the Akkadians nearly 1,000 years after Gilgamesh's traditional date of ruling. That story was based on earlier Sumerian legends surrounding Gilgamesh and other characters of Sumerian myth. Some of the oldest Sumerian poems about him seem to point to Gilgamesh being worshipped as a god by the later generations after his life. Some historians theorize that other stories may in fact be the writers swapping in Gilgamesh for less powerful kings in the Sumerian timeline, attributing their actions to him. We also see different relationships between the characters that appear in the Akkadian version of Gilgamesh's story. For instance, Enkidu is not Gilgamesh's equal but one of his most trusted servants. Gilgamesh is said to be the brother of the goddess Inanna in the poem Gilgamesh Enkidu in the Underworld. Enkidu, at least in that poem, is not cursed to die by Inanna but instead gets Persephone and is trapped in the Underworld after breaking a rule he was supposed to follow. The poem Gilgamesh Enkidu in the Underworld would actually go on to be translated in Akkadian and formed that weird disjointed epilogue I mentioned as being the final part of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Then, we finally get the Akkadian Empire combining and expanding all the different Sumerian stories about the king and eventually creating the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, there may have been many different versions floating around the Akkadian sphere of influence, but what we consider the mainstream story comes from 12 clay tablets discovered in the library of Ashurbanipal in the ruins of the city of Nineveh in northern Iraq. With all the separate empires rising and falling over centuries in this region of the world, it isn't too surprising that different sources of the poem were lost or destroyed altogether in ensuing wars and migrations. Oral versions of Gilgamesh's story would be passed around trade routes, ending up being told in ancient Greece. The Greeks probably also loved this story. As I said at the beginning of the episode, Gilgamesh's epic is believed to have inspired several different chapters of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Then again, the Greeks had been synchronizing Near Eastern culture for centuries. Several Greek deities may have just been Greek versions of Mesopotamian gods. 
we know this is almost certainly true of Aphrodite, who is just the Greek version of Inanna and Ishtar. Gilgamesh's story may have also heavily influenced the ancient Hebrews when they started recording their myths, legends, and histories in what is now the Tanakh, the Christian Old Testament. The most commonly called out influence is the connection between the story of Ushnapishtim and the flood with the story of Noah's Ark. It's actually really weird because so many ancient cultures have stories revolving around massive floods that usually have the world being covered in an ocean. It's basically impossible that human has any memory of the Cambrian period considering all life was fish and weird sea creatures. But we know that Gilgamesh, as being one of the most ancient stories in all of history, is one of the first recorded instances of the Flood narrative, beating out the Tanakh by about a millennium. I do also want to take a very brief tangent to say that the oldest story in human history may be about the constellation known as the Pleiades. The Pleiades are a cluster of seven stars, but only six are visible now. It would have been visible as seven separate stars long, long before historical Gilgamesh was even born. However, every story about it, the Greeks, the Romans, the people in Mesopotamia, they all talk about seven sisters even though those stars weren't visible when those cultures were around. I mean, if that's not interesting, I don't know what is. But getting back on track, like I said, tablets containing Gilgamesh's Akkadian epic were lost or partially destroyed over the years. All we know about Gilgamesh came from other sources mentioning or paying homage to the epic poem. It wasn't until 1849 when the tablets we now have were discovered by English historian Austin Henry Layard in Nineveh. Now funnily enough, Laird was looking for evidence about the events of the Bible, then believed to be the oldest written story in history, until he stumbled upon a story that beat out the Bible by a thousand years. The tablets we have that are the Akkadian version we know and love are severely damaged. If you read most translations of the Epic of Gilgamesh, it will just stop at some points and hopefully the translator will tell you, yeah, we're missing a chunk that consists of about 30 lines of the poem. It makes for a very disjointed narrative at times. Like when Gilgamesh and Enkidu first meet and fight, it skips a lot of that fight and suddenly jumps to the two being friends, so obviously we missed a lot there. Sometimes translators might choose to use older Sumerian versions of the poem that seem to be fitting the same narrative, and usually that works out pretty fine too. Fortunately, new chunks of the Akkadian tablets are being found all the time. Some of the latest big discoveries were within the past decade alone. That means we can just slot those missing chunks into the narrative that we have to form a more cohesive story. And maybe, just maybe, one day we'll be able to have the full story of Gilgamesh. Hey, maybe we'll even be able to point out even more historical stories that were based on his exploits. Because Gilgamesh is more than just the ancient king of Uruk. He was essentially the first hero in history that all others would be based on. So what truth is there in the legends of Gilgamesh? Well, he was no doubt a well-respected or well-feared leader, perhaps even worshipped like a god within his own lifetime. And perhaps he was cruel too. Why else would they portray him as such in the stories? 
Granted, Gilgamesh's whole character arc in the Epic of Gilgamesh is about learning humility, to accept that his one-third human side is actually more important than the two-thirds god. Wisdom and power are the two driving forces behind the legendary Gilgamesh, and personally I'd like to believe that those two traits were present in the historical figure himself. Because what's the point in having all the power of a god if you aren't going to use it for good? Also, I do want to say here at the end that it really doesn't take a lot of brain power to read Gilgamesh and Enkidu as anything but in love with each other. There's been plenty of scholarly research into how to properly read their relationship. But like I said, Gilgamesh had dreams that basically said, you will love this man so, so much, on the same level as a woman. There is zero heterosexual explanation for that. So, yeah, Gilgamesh is the first fictional hero, one of the oldest names in history, and also bisexual. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're slingshotting through history up to the early 20th century in America to learn about another U.S. president. This time, we'll learn about FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as he goes beyond expectations to deal with the U.S. during the Great Depression. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.